Welcome, football fans, to the Football Gumbo Show podcast. That's right, it is the Football Gumbo Show podcast, and I am your host, the Cajun Hillbilly, coming to you from Knoxville, Tennessee, the Cajun Hillbilly, a.k.a. Lance Vosser. That email address is footballgumbo at yahoo.com, footballgumbo at yahoo.com for comments or questions. Well, the NFL season is all wrapped up with a nice, neat little bow. The Super Bowl is over, and I think the uh, Buccaneers and Brady have pulled off the victory. Well, that's what I thought initially until Monday morning at 3 a.m. The Chiefs miraculously accrued 23 points for the epic comeback win. Wasn't that shocking? Oh, just kidding, guys. Just a little riff on the election fraud that happened there. On the the night of November the 3rd and into the morning, I thought it was just hilarious whenever I first started reading these stories and people making fun of the results. But that's right, between the New England Patriots and the Texas Tech Red Raiders, oh, excuse me, sorry, I'm stuck in um, the previous decade, so used to seeing Tom Brady play with the Patriots, and uh, the way that uh, Pat Mahomes got manhandled by the Buccaneers' defense, I thought it looked more like the Pat Mahomes that was at Texas Tech playing there by himself with no help. And it was just crazy, guys. 31-9. to Who would have thunk it? That was, oh, that game was horrible. Completely non-competitive. Um, I thought the Buccaneers would have an advantage and the Chiefs might struggle, being that they lost Eric Fisher at left tackle in the game against the Bills two weeks ago. But my goodness, this was just an onslaught, and I was just shocked. Um, Andy Reid and the Kansas City Chiefs just got completely outcoached. I mean, going into this game, the Chiefs don't score a single touchdown. How shocking is that? Uh, definitely a shocking result. Gee whiz. I mean, so yeah, Pat Mahomes running for his life. Um, looking back to the beginning of the game, the, the, the pregame show, um, Black National Anthem, excuse me, there's no such thing as a Black National Anthem. Now, if somebody wants to get up there and sing, um, lift every voice and sing, which is a great song. From what I understand, it's a hymn. It's positive. It's inspiring. But I mean, stop saying it's the Black National Anthem because there is no Black National Anthem. There is only one national anthem of the country, and that's the Star Spangled Banner. And up to a few years ago, when Colin Kaepernick started disrespecting uh, fans and started disrespecting the country and calling the whole country racist and attacking the cops, the Star Spangled Banner was uniting. Sports was uniting but not since they consistently throw politics in our face while we are seeking a refuge. We are seeking the oasis of sports, and now they have even sullied that. The leftists have even sullied that. We cannot get away without them sticking their finger in our damn face and calling us all racist. So great job, Roger Goodell, not. Um, I hope, you know, the sooner he's gone, the better. Uh, And I hope that this game, this debacle, this non-competitive debacle, Caps off an offseason where we see the salary cap go down $20 million per team per year. I'm just going to love it. I can't wait for it. Uh, the flyover was completely awesome. I mean, how about our military timing that just correctly with those three different bombers from three different locations, I believe it was. Uh, on cue, right after the, uh, the real anthem ends, they timed that perfectly to where those three planes are flying over the stadium. I'm glad that Troy and Joe wasn't commenting on this game because we all know how they hate flyovers and it's such a waste of time. But now since they think Biden is president, they might not think it's such a waste of time now. But um, I don't know who that is, but it's not Joe Biden. And from what I understand, he has not set foot inside the White House. So this is all very hilarious. But uh, this is all a giant show, a giant pantomime, if you will. But the outcome of this one was 
definitely oh, unprecedented and just shocking. So we had uh, Eric Church and um, another singer combined for the, uh, was it the National Anthem? Yeah, and then it looked like Alicia Keys maybe did a nice rendition of America the Beautiful, which was awesome. An awesome guitar solo there. Sorry, that was not Alicia Keys. That apparently is an artist that I have not aware of and not heard of. And the artist's name is her. Uh, H period E period R. So it's apparently an acronym. And But uh, the guitar playing was uh, very good. And the black young lady that sang the national anthem with Eric Church it was Jasmine Sullivan. So nice job to uh, those people. Congratulations on their talent and their wonderful performance. And the weekend for the halftime show, I mean, besides from the usual, like, demonic sort of imagery and Illuminati crap, which is getting quite boring, um, as a matter of fact, I was pleasantly surprised there was no lewd twerking or uh, nipple exposure. Uh, Music was fine enough. The audio was probably a little bit off, but um, I do like the weekend's sort of music sometimes. But I'm just a little bored with all the whole Illuminati and demonic, satanic sort of imagery. It's just getting really boring. But anyway... On to the game. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers would go on to route the Chiefs 31-9, completely lopsided result. Pat Mahomes couldn't get anything going despite making some of the most impressive throws of his career. At one point, he was sort of sideways in the air and still managed to get the ball off and throw it about 30 yards downfield and hit a receiver, an intended receiver, in the face mask. He's made two of those throws in this game where he hit his receiver in the face mask and they just couldn't come down with it and corral it. Um, but yeah, Pat Mahomes spent the majority of the game running around and I've heard someone say that uh, they actually looked at the yards that Pat Mahomes spent running. It was almost 500 yards. He spent running around before he was able to, uh, actually set up and throw. Um, so it was just crazy. Tom Brady was efficient, uh, off of play action. The Bucks got the running game going with Leonard Fournette and Ronald Jones. Of course, the Chiefs had a nice little goal line stand stuffing Ronald Jones, in short yardage situation, that was about the highlight of the game for the Chiefs. And I don't know why the Bucks are going with Ronald Jones in that situation. They should be going with Leonard Fournette, who's definitely running better, especially with power and in short yardage situations. But Ronald Jones has definitely had an up and down year. Some games he's looked better, but um, definitely not impressive there. And then Kansas City made a play whenever the Bucks were trying to get the ball to, I think, a left tackle eligible, a big man, Alexander Haig or something like that. And he was about to catch a touchdown before Kansas City broke it up. But the score... Could have been even more lopsided whenever you think about those plays. Of course, there was a lot of penalties, most of those against the Chiefs, a lot of defensive holding, uh, questionable pass interference later on the game, but that is not the reason that the Chiefs lost the game. It only made the game that much more cringeworthy. It did not help. I think there was a pass interference on Brashad Breeland for interference with Mike Evans, although that was a questionable call because it looks like the ball was over his head and uncatchable. But several, <laughs> God, ticky-tack calls which, I mean, if the whole game or the whole season is called that way, that's fine. It's one thing. But it reminded me of a lot of the Super Bowl 40 game between the Pittsburgh Steelers where Jerome Bettis came back home to Detroit against the Seattle Seahawks. And the officiating was so bad, uh, the game was almost unwatchable. Anyway, Brady and Gronk were working with it. It looked like the old Brady and Gronk. Brady gets his seventh championship, which is one that he was really wanting and now he eclipses Michael Jordan for the athlete of, uh, you know, having the most championships as Michael Jordan had six with the Bulls. 
But Gronk with two touchdown catches, uh, Brady making something happen, moving around in the pocket, finding Gronk late for the touchdown. And Gronk looked like he turned back the clock a little bit, was, um, you know, running well and is always an underrated uh, pass protector. Brady ended up being the MVP in this one, but it really should have been going to, I mean, toward the second half, you're watching this game and the Chiefs still not able to muster anything more than three points. And you were like, started thinking about, okay, who in this defense, who in this Buccaneers defense can they possibly give the MVP to? Is it going to be Devin White, Levante David? Is it going to be, you know, one of the cornerbacks? Is it going to be Shaquille Barrett or JPP? Um, You know, if we could give it to a coach, we could give it to Todd Bowles, who had definitely did not have a successful coaching tenure with the Jets, but he has a lot more to work with, and he's got a lot more tools and weapons with this Tampa Bay Bucks defense. When you think about Shaquille Barrett and Dominic Sue, Vita Vea coming back healthy, that was big for the Bucks down the stretch. JPP, you've got these speedy linebackers, Levante David, who's always been underrated for a while now, and you have Devin White, the speedy linebacker, the first-round pick out of LSU that came back and was came back healthy. And their speed was very evident because usually with the Chiefs, what, what happens is usually either Tyreek Hill torches you, and if Tyreek Hill doesn't torch you, then it's going to be Kelsey getting his uh, at the tight end position. But the linebackers were all over Kelsey with their speed and with their hands, and then the duck, the Bucks just played two deep safety the whole game and kept the lid on Tyreek Hill. It was an excellent game plan, and that was evident. The Chiefs just got completely outcoached in this one. So a tip of the hat to Byron Leftwich and Todd Bowles for their exemplary coordinating jobs in their game plans and to Bruce Arians who finally gets the Super Bowl victory. Bruce Arians has been in the league for a long time. I thought the Pittsburgh Steelers lost a little bit whenever he was not their offensive coordinator anymore. Their offense just seemed to uh, tail off for a bit and not really have that explosiveness that it had whenever Arians was there. And kudos to Arians for giving minorities and uh, people of color uh, and hiring you know, females, giving them a chance to coach. He's got a very diverse staff, and their names will likely be mentioned in possible future coaching uh, positions. The Kansas City Chiefs need to uh, short up, uh, get some offensive line depth in the offseason. They need to address that in the draft in the offseason. But, uh, I mean, looking at what um, Andy Reid did, he stayed with just five people in blocking, and they couldn't handle the pass rush. It was always just five guys, didn't change anything up, didn't keep a tight end or a running back in to help Chip with the with, with the uh, blocking. It probably wouldn't help that much either. But um, Andy Reid really not making any adjustments is a little bit surprising. The Super Bowl broadcast uh, drew fewer than 100 million viewers, making it uh, the least watched Super Bowl in over a decade. Although the COVID-19 restrictions kept the game's audience mostly homebound, viewers failed to tune in to the NFL League Championship game, though it was still the highest-rated program on television that Sunday night. Super Bowl 50 attracted 96.4 million viewers um, for CBS on Sunday that the company announced, but uh, as Tampa Bay beat the Chiefs 31-9, to it is the lowest-watched Super Bowl since 2007 when the Colts played the Bears, another CBS broadcast. That game attracted 93.1 million viewers. Boy, talk about that was a, that was a boring game, too, in the rain in Miami, although the best thing about that game was, I believe, the the, the halftime by Prince. And then um, in New York, it's also tough. Uh, in New York, you have uh, now you have restaurants opening, allowed to open 
with limited seating and they want to have the TVs off so it doesn't accrue a crowd of people watching the game. So that might have had some effect on the numbers as well. Kansas City uh, going into this game had a little bit of an issue to deal with. Uh, I don't think it really affected the game plan that much or the coaching that much, but um, a bit of a quandary here as uh, the son of Andy Reid, linebackers coach Britt Reid, has been put on administrative leave following last week's three-car accident that left a five-year-old girl in critical condition. So the son of Andy Reid evidently is involved in a car accident and injures a five-year-old girl. Um, the 35-year-old Reed, the son of Chiefs uh, head coach Andy Reed, acknowledged to police that he was driving the vehicle that collided with two other cars, including the one with the five-year-old inside. The police report said the driver of that vehicle suffered non-life-threatening injuries and was being investigated for a possible impairment. Andy Reed said this week that Britt Reed underwent surgery but wasn't more specific. A Kansas City Police Department officer said Britt Reed's eyes were bloodshot and that the officer smelled a moderate a moderate odor of alcoholic beverage, according to a police officer statement obtained by ESPN. The statement went on to say that Reed told the officer he had had two to three drinks and that he also took prescription Adderall. Britt Reed did not travel to Tampa Bay for the Super Bowl for the recent Super Bowl and did not coach the Chiefs in their in that thirty-one to nine loss. So. Thoughts and prayers out to that five-year-old girl and her family. And this is just inexcusable. Uh, Andy Reid has, I believe, lost a son before, and they've had problems with addiction in the past. So this is just, yeah, this guy's just going to get whatever he deserves. Um, I hope he gets some prison time. He's obviously got a problem, but that was a decision to make whenever you're on a prescription like that and you choose to put alcohol to your lips and get in a, I don't know, 2,000-pound moving vehicle. You know, that's a decision that you make, and I don't hear this crap about it's a mistake, whatever. That was clearly a decision and a bad one, and he needs to pay for it because it ended up hurting someone else. So it's also something else that the Chiefs are going to have to deal with in the wake of this ugly loss. And one of the guys that was at the Super Bowl with Roger Goodell was Russell Wilson. And he was, he and his wife, Ciara, were talking to Roger Goodell, could be seen talking to Roger Goodell in the stands. And a story came out uh, with an interview with Russell Wilson that he was becoming increasingly frustrated with the Seahawks' inability to protect him. I guess Russ must have been getting some PTSD watching Pat Mahomes get hit and uh, running for his life during the Super Bowl. So um, he was asked about it in an interview and made a statement about he's a little bit uh, frustrated with the lack of protection that he gets from the Seahawks' offensive lineman. Did uh, Russell Wilson has been sacked 394 times in nine seasons, and Seattle notoriously neglects its offensive line and spends their first-round picks rather bizarrely. So maybe we'll see them draft the lineman for a change. They did uh, trade for the uh, Houston's left tackle a couple of years ago. Dwayne Brown is a pretty decent left tackle, although he's getting he's getting a little bit up there in age and has been um, suffering with uh, some injuries here and there a little bit, but. The Seahawks always could use to spend a little bit more capital on their offensive line because Russell Wilson is constantly having to move around off his launching point. We had a huge trade. Um, Matt Stafford has indicated that he would like to the lines that he would like to leave 
And lo and behold, there were some teams that were interested in trading for Matt Stafford. Teams such as the Bears, the Panthers, the Colts, the Patriots, the 49ers, um, the Washington football team, and then the Los Angeles Rams swoop in and pull off the successful trade in exchange for Jared Goff, two first-round picks, and a third. Um, That contract, of course, comes with Goff, and that's the big takeaway here. Uh, The Rams should be contenders, and those two first-rounders will likely be late-round picks, as they should be rather successful with Jared Goff. Um, We know that late in the season that the Rams were actually going to go ahead and go with their backup quarterback from the XFL, and then Goff only came in because that guy got hurt. And so Sean McVay was ready to move on from Jared Goff, and the Rams swoop in. Um, They think that Jared Goff is one of the last pieces of the puzzle they need to make a deeper playoff run than they've made. And they're definitely going to need some retooling of their uh, of their defense. They lost their um, their defensive coordinator to the head coaching uh, San, uh, San Diego, Los Angeles Chargers position. So they will be looking for another defensive coordinator and perhaps looking for some help for Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey. They're a little bit top-heavy in their roster, but that was a huge trade. Two first-rounders and a third-rounder to Detroit. That will help remake the team. They've got a lot of work to do there in Detroit remaking that roster with head coach Dan Campbell and executing his vision there. Um, the Chicago Bears, that would have been interesting, although the, you know the Lions don't really want to trade within the division, so that was not likely to uh, to happen there. And Deshaun Watson has deleted all Texans-related material from his social media accounts. Is he making a statement publicly to Texans say they're not interested in trading him, but let's see who... Let's see how this plays out. Could this be a game of chicken between Deshaun Watson and the Texans? And the thing with this situation is that most of the fans, I think, are going to come down on the side of Deshaun Watson because he's been a good guy this whole time. He's um, done nothing but been a good soldier. And I think that the fans are smart enough to realize that the Houston Texans have made a mess of things by bringing in Bill O'Brien and allowed him to make a mess of things and give him the GM role whenever he did not deserve it. And it cost a lot of goodwill. Whenever he traded away Nuke Hopkins for only um, a second-round pick and getting a uh, banged-up running back in exchange from the Cardinals. So I think a lot of the Texans fans will be on the side of Deshaun Watson. So looking at what uh, Matt Stafford went for, it's going to be really interesting to see what it's going to take to pry Deshaun Watson off of the Houston Texans. And the Houston Texans need picks. Lord knows they need picks because they got a a lot of holes to fill. In that secondary, they might even trade J.J. Watt and get what they can for him because that, that whole defense needs to be rebuilt. Uh, some other coaching and some other NFL news. Former NFL head coach Marty Schottenheimer dies at 77. He passed away peacefully in Charlotte, North Carolina after a long battle with Alzheimer's, according to ESPN. The former head coach was placed in hospice care last week due to complications caused by the disease. Uh, Marty Schottenheimer won 200 regular season games with four teams. Dies at 77. He was the eighth winningest coach in NFL history. He went 200, 126, and won. Won over 200 games. Lost 126 and tied one. In 21 seasons with the Browns, Chiefs, Washington team, and the Chargers. So a very long resume um, from Marty Schottenheimer. Had some pretty good, decent teams. Remember him coaching Drew Brees with the Chargers uh, in the early moments of Drew Brees' career. So... Um, in some college news, going to touch upon the NCAA news here a little bit. Tight end Eric Gilbert is headed to 
the uh, headed from the SEC West to the SEC East. The tight end announced that he was transferring from LSU to Florida, saying that this is the best situation for me, and I'm excited to join the family. Gilbert was a five-star prospect and the number one tight end in the class of 2020 per 24-7 sports composite rankings. He played during his freshman season for a disappointing LSU team that went 5-5 and finished with 35 catches for 368 yards and two touchdowns. His best game came during an October loss to the Missouri Tigers when he posted six catches for 97 yards and a touchdown. The decision to transfer to Florida is notable because of how much success tight end Kyle Pitts enjoyed in head coach Dan Mullen's offense last year. Pitts finished with 43 catches for 770 yards and 12 TDs in just eight games and was a threat to score almost every time he touched the ball. He may be a top 15 pick in the upcoming NFL draft, leaving space for someone like Gilbert to step in and be a key contributor right away. But can they trust someone who is perceived to have uh, quit on their team? There was some speculation that Eric Gilbert had said that he was homesick. But however, later on, he came out and denied that. And then um, the LSU uh, coach O said that his uh, he was told by uh, Eric that his body was hurting, whatever. I mean, it's football, dude. Everybody's body is hurting. I mean, come on now. Um, to me, in my opinion, he should not be able to play immediately since he's playing. He's staying in Division One, and he's staying in the same conference. So to me, the transfer rule is just killing college football at this point. Um, all these kids entering the college, uh, the transfer portal um, is just slowly destroying college football. Um, and you got to wonder, did Kyle Pitts contact Eric Gilbert because – uh, well-known recruiter for Florida, Tim Brewster, could not. And did Brewster ask Pitts to contact him since he couldn't? Because uh, that would certainly be tampering. But um, definitely an eye-opening development there in the world of SEC football. Matt Campbell is staying put for Iowa State. They announced Monday that the head football coach has signed a contract extension that would keep him with the team through the 2028 season, Campbell is 35 and 28 in his five seasons at Iowa State and has led the team to four straight bowl games under Campbell. The Cyclones reached number 14 in the AP poll in 2017 and were as high as number eight this past season before Iowa State, the 41 year old. Spent five seasons at Toledo, where he went 35-15 and 15 and led the team to three bowl games. Given his solid tenures at Iowa State and Toledo, Buzz has circulated around Campbell in the NFL world the past few seasons. So Iowa, putting their uh, money where their mouth is and securing Matt Campbell, um, who's done a great job there at that little program of Iowa State. So kudos to them. There was some teams, other bigger college football programs, and even some NFL teams sniffing around Campbell, understandably so, and Iowa, and uh, locks him up, and it's a it's a win for Iowa, and it's a big for it's a win for Big Twelve football. But we've seen the game of football evolve. We've seen the uh, pro game look a little bit more like the college game, and sort of evolve a little bit, and it's made it fun. But this past Super Bowl was a reminder that the game is still won mostly in the trenches. No matter how cute you think you can get, you still have to have a decent line. So we saw the Chiefs' offensive line suffer. They didn't have tackles that were starting uh, that were starting worthy. They did not have starting worthy worthy tackles, and the Chiefs have to fix that to protect their five hundred million dollar investment in Mahomes. 
And before the game, you know, lots of media were hyping this up. Oh, is this the passing of the torch? Is this going to be Tom Brady passing the torch to the young gun, Pat Mahomes? And I should have known there. I was like, you guys are totally sabotaging this. And you know what? The game is still one of the trenches. Tampa Bay won in the trenches. Their defensive line played well and their offensive line played well. The Bucks got the running game going. They protected Brady well. Um, the play-action pass got going. And it was just from there, it was an avalanche. So uh, Chris Jones was pretty much quiet except for a few initial plays in the first quarter. Pat Mahomes had, a, had to make a lot of plays in the first quarter, picking up first downs with his legs. And that toe started bothering him later in the game. So look for that to be addressed here, perhaps with some surgery. Uh, Frank Clark made uh, in, you know initial first play also in that first quarter, but I mean it was all downhill from there as Kansas City's defense had to spend uh, more time on the field than they would have liked, um, and that pretty much have the lopsided win there, thirty-one to nine. So the Buccaneers think they've got a team here with no real weaknesses. There's a lot of players who were willing to take a little less to keep the team together. Uh, wide receiver Mike Evans has expressed some interest in that. And Shaquille Barrett has also expressed some interest in staying with the team. So, and now we move on to the offseason, and every team's got hope again. And we're going to go through a little bit of these season-ending NFL awards. The Defensive Player of the Year goes to Aaron Donald. I thought T.J. Watt for the Steelers also could have been an honorable mention. He was definitely deserving quite as well. Understandable that they would go with Aaron Donald. Defensive Rookie of the Year was Chase Young from the Washington football team. Uh, I think it was seven sacks that he had. Offensive Player of the Year goes to the Titans, Derrick Henry, and that's sort of a a consolation prize to uh, not getting the MVP, as we all figured that Aaron Rodgers would get the MVP for the Green Bay Packers, and of course he did. The Coach of the Year was Kevin Stefanski with the Browns doing an amazing job there. Um, I think the uh, Walter Payton Man of the Year Award went to Russell Wilson for his work off the field. And just a little comment here about the comeback player of the year. 49 out of 50 votes went to Alex Smith. 49 out of 50. All 50 should have gone to Alex Smith, who almost died coming back to play football after having 17 surgeries on his leg. But one numbskull decided he was going to vote for Ben Roethlisberger coming back from an elbow injury. He thought that was worthy over Alex Smith, who had 17 surgeries, fought an infection, nearly lost his leg and his life. So that numbskull should be not allowed to vote anymore, ever, for anything at all. Anyways, um, that's going to do it for this podcast, and we go right into the off season. Um, thank you for joining us. This is the Football Gumbo Podcast, and I'm your host, the Cajun Hillbilly. And we hope to accrue enough news to uh, put up a new episode soon. Thank you for joining us, and good night.